This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome into the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. This is a show I've been wanting to do since we got word late last spring. Steve McMichael was eligible on the Seniors Committee for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mongo is going into Canton, and the perfect guest to talk about that is with me right now, and that's his former teammate beginning in 1982 when McMichael joined the Bears. Dan Hampton, fellow Hall of Famer and still Mongo's friend, joining me. Man, uh, God, what a great day, uh, Hamp. When, when we get the news, it's just you, your heart's just full of joy because this meant so much to Steve. How are you feeling about this? Just, you know, as a football guy and as a very close friend of Steve McMichael's. Well, Danny, you know, it, it's different probably than practically any other player that's ever been inducted in the Hall of Fame because of the the current situation with Steve now being in his third year of being stricken with ALS. He's lost virtually all movement skills, uh, can't speak, can't eat, can't do anything. And yet he's acutely aware of what essentially has been going on. And for this now to finally happen, when virtually any other sensory, you know, gratification of life has has dissipated, now he, in his heart, in his heart, he can say, holy crap, I'm an NFL Hall of Famer. And it's on like three different levels. Number one, every player that puts on a helmet in ninth grade, kind of thinks, who knows, maybe I'll be a Hall of Fame. And the chances are astronomical for that to happen. But then you go through college and you do pretty good. Then you get in the pros and you do pretty good. And you still, you never know. You never. So to have this actually become a fait accompli is amazing. The second part of this is, you know, a lot of people, good, bad, or indifferent, they grudgingly have to acknowledge maybe that 85 team was the, the greatest defense of all time. And he was such a huge part of it. And it only kind of enforces that, that great tribute to that team, that defense, by having another Hall of Famer. Three on the defensive line. It's never happened before in the NFL. 104 years in existence. It's never happened before. And, of course, Mike Singletary, who played just a couple of steps behind us. So that only makes that so much more special. But on the third level, again, like I said just a moment ago, there's no big celebratory party or anything. There's no, He has been, 
you know, stripped of all of that, but to know in his heart, in his heart of heart, in his mind, to know that, yes, all the work, the injury, the toil, the, the, the overcoming of all the obstacles, it, it finally has paid off and he will be inducted into the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame. I want to ask you about the time you've spent with Mongo these last couple of years in a second, but the football player, Steve McMichael, took him a little while to earn the affection of Buddy Ryan. He was in his third year here before he actually got into the lineup. What was it that finally clicked for him, um, and what impressed you most about his long career? Well, we'll get to the longevity part of it, which to me is the most incredible part of it. He played some 200-something games and never missed missed a start. It's just incomprehensible to go through all of the, the different knee surgery, surgery situations and the swelling and getting your knees drained and shot up and all the – to overcome all of that is is incredible. But – you you spoke of it took a little while for him to get traction with Buddy and to be an a, a actual starter. He always had such great attributes, you know, the, the devastating power and quickness and technique and all those things that you you know you would expect and 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 and, and want as a defensive lineman. But he had such such a zest to play the game. We we were violent and we knew the more violent we were at the line of scrimmage at the point of attack, the better the defense could be and would be. And he, you know, would, would relish that. The one thing is, you know, I I didn't start playing until I was in 11th grade in high school. And so I never really thought about all that stuff, but Steve, he grew up a football star and went to Texas and was an All-American. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. All these different accolades, but still the one, the one part of that equation that was always left undone was, was he really good enough to be a pro football Hall of Famer? And by hook and crook, the old-timers, you know, selection verifies the fact that, yes, yes, he was so dynamic as a player and you read some of the the testimonials from the players he played against Randy Cross and and all these great players that would say hey you know there was one or two guys every year they'd say you know I I'm kind of dreading when we line up and play cuz I know I'm going to get my ass kicked and Steve was that kind of a player and so big picture Yes, he deserves it in so many different ways. But but again, back to being a part of that defense. You know, a lot of people go, well, he only made two Pro Bowls or whatever it was. Well, he was going against me to get Pro Bowl votes, just like I was going against when I was playing in, going against Richard Dent. So there's only – Buddy Ryan used to tell this great story. Uh, there was a game where – Richard Dent had a sack and five or six tackles and, and Buddy Ryan, you know, spoke highly of him after the game saying he was the player of the game. And, you know, I kind of scoffed and I said, well, I had two sacks and 10 tackles. What about, he goes, Hey, Hamp, 
shut up. He goes, when you're on a team and a team like this, it's like growing up in a big family. Now we can't afford to buy everybody a pair of new shoes, you know, every, every month, but this month it's Richard's turn. And maybe next month it'll be your turn. And you kind of understand that in an abstract way, we're competing against each other for accolades, for, you know, notoriety, all those different things. But for him to be able to, to kind of bank all the stats, all, all the meaningful, uh, you know, uh, con, con, uh, contributions to that defense. When you've got Pro Bowl linebackers and Pro Bowl defensive tackles and the ends all around and you still are able to be that kind of an impact player, I think it's just fantastic. And I, I really want to applaud the Hall of Fame committee because they really kind of, they, they dug through the numbers and the stats and they came up with the proper verdict and he deserves it in so many different ways. But, you know, I, I had the chance to play with so many special players, Walter Payton, to see what he meant. He, he was, you know, he was an incredible teammate, but he was even better player. Well, Steve was the exact same type of a, a player. Not only was he a dynamic you know, force on the field, but off the field and how he prepared, how he would, you know, kind of tutor and nurture the younger players and encourage different players when they were going through some tough times. He was, uh, he was beloved by everyone that ever played with him. And I know each and every one of them, just like I were just thrilled to the moon and back because of this, this wonderful announcement. Such a character, too. And so many of you guys, you know, in the last 20 years or so, Hamp, when younger producers have said to me, they've asked, what is it about this 85 Bears that keeps so many of you guys, you know, gaga over your grown men? And you still talk about them like you're 15 years old. And the Bulls went on and won six titles. And my answer is real simple. It's because you guys were part of Chicago more than anything. You belonged to Chicago. You get the NFL's all-time leading rusher showing up to do post games on the local ABC affiliate with Tim Weigel, Walter Payton. You were always on the radio with Chet Kopik. Mongo took his dog down to NBC5 with Gene Greco and said, I got to bring him in, Mark. Otherwise, he'd just sit at home and lick on himself. Jim McMahon. Bigger-than-life personalities who didn't hide, who were a part of it. And it's like, for those of us who experienced it, I, I, don't think, I don't think you can let go of something like that. It'll never happen again. But uh, is that how you look at it to a degree? And I don't know how you view it when you're in the moment and you're a part of that contingent that I like to call the Rolling Stones in shoulder pads. But um, what do you think? I mean, you guys were Chicago's guys. Yeah. You know, and, and Danny, there, I hate to say there was kind of a method in the madness. So early on, you know, two, three, four years before the Super Bowl, it doesn't just happen overnight. We don't wave a wand and become the greatest team and all that. There's a there's a ramp up. And 
Steve and I and and Mike Hartenstein, we would go and we would have dinner with Ed Obradovich and Dick Buckus and Doug Buffone. And we would talk to them. What it was like to be a part of a of a team from Chicago that was called the Monsters of the Midway. And nobody was calling anybody the Monsters of the Midway at the end of the 70s when I got there. But we wanted that. We wanted to be known as something bigger than the actual game. And we wanted, and, and you mentioned his, his, his personality, bigger than life. And, you know, he went into wrestling with the four horsemen and, and all that craziness. He, he had a flair and, you know, he was kind of like a Texas troubadour on the field, off the field. You know, he, he was, you know, he was, it was, it was an incredible era to be a part of, but we wanted that. And we, we expected that, you know, guess what? We, we kind of say we want to be this bigger than life sensation and phenomena. Well, guess what? If you start getting your ass beat and you start playing poorly, then guess what? Everybody's going to start mocking you and, and scoffing. And we didn't want that. So it almost like it became a self fulfilling prophecy in the sense that we would talk the talk. Well, now we got to go out and walk the walk. And Steve was the first one on the bus and ready to ride anytime we needed to do it. A weight room monster, uh, a tough guy. And when you've spent time with him over the last few years, it's like, man, father time is unbeaten. And ALS is just so goddamn cruel. How tough has it been for you to keep a stiff upper lip when you stand in the room next to him, knowing he's fully lucid and he hears every word you say and can communicate only through the eye picture board charts, because that's all that's left for an ALS victim is the ability to move their eyes. And that's how they write sentences. For those of you who don't know, how, how hard has that been for you? It, it's heartbreak. Danny, every time I go, I walk out, and I say, I can't come back. I just can't seem like that. But after a little while, I realize I have to go. I need to be there. I will be there. It it has been heart, it, heartbreaking is not nearly strong enough term. It's devastating. But all of that being said, and as you just mentioned, he knows. He knows what's going on. He knows what is about to happen with the announcement and a lot of players, you know, they get into the game for notoriety, for money, for, you know, for girls, for a dealer, whatever. Steve was one of those kind of players that would, you know, there's no tomorrow. We're going to play it until, you know, until it's over. And, and it was all about being the best he could be on a week, to week basis. And that's the part about this that I think is, is going to kind of hit home when he kind of closes his eyes and realizes that that long, far off land that he never thought maybe he would ever get to 
that he is now finally going to be a part of. And, you know, when I go to the Hall of Fame, I always go to Walter's bust and I look at it and, and think about him and what what he would be like today. And in much the same way, Steve, you know, will be a part of that type of a legacy. And I walk around and and see the other players and 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 I I look and, and, and realize that, you know, John Madden used to say that the Hall of Fame is the granddaddy of award banquets. There ain't no, this is the end of the line. It doesn't get any better than this. And Steve, in the back of his mind, he probably thought maybe it never happened. But now finally, yes, in the year 2024, it's going to happen. Yes, it will be in 2024. And what a glorious summer day that is going to be when we get to watch two and a half bears get enshrined in Canton, Ohio. I'm Danny Mac, the Danny Mac podcast, part two with Gary Fensick coming up. I want to remind you, Bet Rivers is offering a second chance bet on your first same game parlay on the big game. Place a qualifying same game parlay on the big game. And if your bet loses, you get a bonus bet equal to the amount of your wager with the same game parlay bet you also can earn a square that can be worth as much as ten thousand dollars see the bet rivers app for details and bet on the big game at bet rivers one of the hitmen from the old days when the bears used to knock the snot out of the people uh they faced uh, on sunday afternoons gary fensick joining me for this celebratory broadcast today thanks for being with me gary Steve McMichael to the Hall of Fame, uh, Devin Hester, a bear, and Julius Peppers, uh, a half a bear. Most of us think of him as a panther. Nice day it's going to be this coming summer when we get to watch that. How did you feel when you got the news about all three bears, or two and a half bears in this case? You know, I, 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 you know, I think as a bear, you're always very proud. Uh, you know, Devin Hester, my gosh, I mean, uh, what an accomplishment. He was so exciting. And as a season ticket holder, you know, he made kickoffs and punt returns just so much more exciting. I went to the Super Bowl and that opening kickoff, you're like, oh, my God, unbelievable. Unfortunately, it was the highlight of the game offensively for the Bears. But, uh, yeah, uh, a great player. I, I never met Julius, but, you know, he, he clearly, I mean, I know he's going in as a Panther, but what a what a great pro he was. And, you know, I went down or went out last night to uh, to Steve's house uh, for the announcement. And, you know, I thought Misty looked great uh, out in Vegas uh, in place of Steve. But he and uh, a lot of my former teammates were there and really happy for him. Yeah, Uh, I want to get to McMichael more in just a second. But, you know, we spent most of the first half of this with Hampton today talking about Mongo as far as Hester goes. And I talked with Doug Plank the other day who, you know, similar path to the NFL as yours, not a high draft choice by any stretch considered by many too small. So you earn your way into the league by busting wedges back when there were wedges in kick return and yeah, our three on the kickoff team. It's not something that any NFL player has ever been on. I mean, think about that. Everybody yeah. basically is a star. I don't care what level you're at or where you went to college. Uh, so you're the starting offensive player, or defensive player, and all of a sudden you're on punt coverage. You're like, what? I, I don't do that. Uh, Can you, you imagine do. the challenges and, uh, of being a guy? That- in- <laughs> I'm sorry, Gary, I stepped you know, on you. You got a little bit of a delay. 
Yeah, no problem. But, you know, when you're on the kickoff team, you think, oh, you just run down there. Someone is, you know, looping or, you know, you've got to figure out what the scheme is because you don't want to get just cold cocked. Uh, and it happens. Uh, and, you know, you've got these guys who are really fast and all they need is a little, you know, a little sleeve, a little opening. And, man, they're gone. So, uh, yeah, I was on that punt coverage. <laughs> it was, you know, one of those things that you don't really aspire to. But, hey, the pay's pretty good. And uh, it would have been quite a challenge if you're coming into the league and trying to earn a check in zero six, and Devin Hester is the guy you need to stop. And man, team started wow. just kicking it away. It's that or, or run the risk of having him take it in all the way against you. And that that really changed the the way the Bears' offense got to live starting the oh, series gosh, yeah. at your 40-yard line regularly. Just terrific stuff. Why in the world would they convert a guy like that to wide receiver, which happened well after he'd established himself as arguably the best return man in the game's history? You know, I didn't realize that when he came in, he was actually a defensive back, and they converted him or tried to convert him to a wide receiver. I think you just want to take – I mean, think today – with all those little screens, uh, you throw it to him outside, holy smokes, he sees a small little opening and he's gone. So, I mean, I, I understand why you'd want to take advantage of his skill set, which wasn't just speed. It was just vision to be able to see openings as well. Uh, but, I, you know, he wasn't an unsuccessful wide receiver, but, you know, I think they were just trying to get him on the field and get more touches. Last night's honors ceremony, you know, I, I tuned in to be inspired and to be happy and to see Misty McMichael. And right out of the shoot, we were reminded of where the Bears are. The first award of the evening went to Offensive Rookie of the Year, C.J. Stroud of the Texans, and also nominated the running back and tight end for the Lions, who went to the title game. It's like you can't turn a corner without being slapped in the face. Uh, and reminded of where the Bears are in the pecking order right now in the division, Gary. Well, I think it's become a bit more complicated, actually. You know, I mean, Detroit and Green Bay are young. I mean, they're younger than the Bears who keep saying, oh, yeah, we have a young team. It's like, well, if you have an older team like the Kansas City Chiefs, although they're probably young as well, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think it's having really good players and, and being in a position. And this is where the Bears are trying to go, where you have everybody kind of accelerating uh, at the same time. And uh, and also you have first contracts because that really becomes a, a salary cap issue if you have to pay uh, you know the, the top salaries, whatever the position is. They're in that position right now with uh, Johnson at cornerback. And, uh, you know, I, I think Green Bay, you know, the first game of the year is like, oh, is Love going to make it? Well, hell, he did more than just make it. And they said, oh, yeah, we have this really good young team. And they get rid of their defensive coordinator who, you know, the second half of the season, I thought they did a pretty good job. And then you've got Detroit. Detroit reminds me a little bit of the 84 Bears. Uh, you know, you lose that game and, hey, everybody can – complain or argue and say, you know, what was the head coach thinking about those fourth down plays? But man, they, they're, they've got a lot of talent offensively and defensively, and they're really young with the exception of golf, 
who's turned out to be a really, really solid quarterback, which nobody thought really that he would be when they made that trade a couple of years ago. So, you know, I think the Bears, it's going to be a real challenge with those two teams and Minnesota. I mean, I don't, you know, Minnesota, depending on what they do with their quarterback, they're going to be a pretty good team too. So the division's getting tougher. Uh, and, you know, the Bears have all of these changes on offense and defense with coaches. And you've got the the big decision to make about who's going to be quarterbacking this team in 2024. Gary, I've talked to a handful of your ex-teammates this week about Steve McMichael, um, the dude, and Steve McMichael, the player. And several themes are consistent. Durability, weight room animal, character off the field. What did you admire the most about about Mongo, whether it's as a player or as a guy? What what do you think of and say, man, I'm glad I got to know that dude and play with him? Yeah, you know, I, I think my thoughts, and I'm sure a lot of my former teammates feel the same way. It's almost like, wow, you look back and maybe look at them from a little different perspective. And with Steve, you know, everybody knew that Hamp, from the time Dan came on to the defense, our defense changed. I mean, he really was that good uh, a player. And then Richard came in, and all of a sudden you've got, you know, a guy who really has this great sack ability. But, you know, I think with Steve, Steve came in, and I think like me, I got cut from the Miami Dolphins. He got cut from the New England Patriots, and he was a second-round draft choice. And I, I think it, you know, gives you a little insecurity or, hey, I'm not coming off. I don't care if you if my arm comes off, you know, it's going to be like Monty Python. You know, I, uh, I am not going to lose that position because of an injury. And so I think that Steve was very happy to be part of a really good team, a really good unit and uh, took great pride in the fact that, you know, he went to Texas and, you know, he has kind of that braggadocio that we associate maybe with people from the state of Texas period, but he was a pro. And I think that that's one thing that even I can't quite appreciate if I, if I'm with Tom Thayer or listening to Tom on, on radio with the bears, he talks about all this stuff going on in the line. I'm like, that's like the plumbing. I mean, did the guy catch the ball or not, Tom? Uh, but, but you know what, but, but you know what they, you know, every group on the field has to work as a unit. You, the secondary has to work as a unit. The defensive line has to work as a unit. And I think that, you know, Steve was willing to subjugate his ego in a little bit uh, just to be one part of that unit, to be prideful of the fact that you are on a really good front four. And for me being in a huddle and being right across from those guys, you know, you're in a crucial period of time and you're looking around and I'm going, hey, we need the, we need a pass rush. And there's no good defense in the NFL or any other unit if you don't have a good front four, uh, at least in a 4-3 defense. So I, you know, counted on those guys. They were really consistent. I know Steve was in that weight room all the time. He, uh, you know, he took great pride in the fact that he was always on the field and off the field, you were your own character. You know, it's so funny, Dan, because back then, you know, you didn't have the internet. So you didn't have all of these manufactured characters and all of that. It was like, hey, uh, you know, you had a couple of newspapers covering you and, you know, you, you could be who you wanted to be, but it wasn't like you had your own, you know, podcast or anything like, like they do today. So it's, it's a lot different. 
Yeah, the game has changed, certainly. Um, what was it like to be in that room last night with ex-teammates and, and Steve? It's had to be bittersweet. Can you paint a picture for our yeah, listeners? Yeah, I, I think you probably hit it. it. It was bittersweet. Yes, you're really, really happy that he got in. Uh, happy for his wife, who's, you know, I mean, it's it's been a real tough go for anybody with that type of debilitating uh, disease. You know, a lot of his friends were there. His uh, sister, Kathy, has been up and back uh, from Texas for several years. And so I, I was really happy for her and her family. Uh, for teammates, you know, Suey was there, uh, Ozzy, Jim Osborne. Uh, it was great to be able to celebrate another person going into the Hall of Fame. It's not something that you, you know, I don't think people aspire to be a Hall of Famer. It just, uh, but you feel as you see, you know, players going, you know, I have kind of those stats. And Steve was a little bit hidden in that sense, right? I mean, it, it, it was kind of like, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, all these stats weren't collected, right? They didn't even start measuring, I think, sacks until, you know, after I retired. So, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, how many times do you touch the quarterback? And then that all of a sudden that's a new NFL record. Uh, it was like, hey, are we are we winning? I mean, wasn't enough average teams. And, you know, you 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 watched us. It's, uh, you know, to be able to gravitate, to be able to progress, to finally being on a team to actually say that you were the best ever for one year uh, was an, an amazing accomplishment. And, uh, you know, we showed just how difficult it was to repeat that for why? For reasons of health, I think, mostly. But. Um, you know, that 84, 85, 86 uh, to 88, a year after I was gone, were great seasons for the Chicago Bears and for Bear fans. And you haven't really seen anything like it other than, you know, the last time they were at the Super Bowl. So hope springs eternal, though. All right, so let's fan. move. Yes, I mean, if the Detroit does. Lions can get there, let's, we have a chance. <laughs> <laughs> let's move it forward then let me make you general manager gary fensick and i'm not asking you what you think they're gonna do gary what would you do with the one and nine what where are you going to get this team better you know i think that you need to have a quarterback in this league who can take you to the super bowl it's going to be an interesting contrast on the Super Bowl on Sunday where you have Mahomes who's on his way to perhaps being the greatest of all time. And you've got Purdy. Who, how can you not cheer for this guy, the last pick in the draft, and yet he's playing really good football? Um, you, you can argue all you want about maybe Trent Dilfer was the only quarterback who the team lifted him up. Uh, to win a Super Bowl. But other than that, you need somebody who is consistently potentially a Hall of Fame quarterback to get you there. And I think that the Bears are probably finding or assessing uh, that Justin doesn't have the ceiling that they thought he did. And you can blame the offensive line, the wide receivers, the offensive coordinator, but when you see C.J. Stroud, his rookie year down in Texas, you go, wow, that, that's, that guy has a vision. He's staying in the pocket. You know, in some ways, Dan, I think going to really great 
football programs like Alabama or Ohio State is almost a detriment to developing you uh, to be able to throw in two and a half seconds in the NFL because your, your entire offensive line is either a first or second round draft choice. Your wideouts are first round draft choices. Your running backs are first round. And you could smoke a cigarette back there and say, I'll come back to you, you know, because you're, you're going to have plenty of time, 10 seconds, five seconds to throw. You don't get, you, know, you need Jake Cutler going to Vanderbilt, getting a crap beat out of him. He can take a hit. We know that because he's getting hit every single week. And he knows you've got timing uh, issues. So I, you know, hey, everybody knows, and I think it's really true that Justin Fields is a wonderful teammate. I mean, everybody likes him. There's no question about that. He works hard. He has great plays uh, that he's made. But there's no consistency in the offense when you have a running quarterback. You know, the wide receivers go, I was open. He didn't see me. You know, the offensive line uh, tackles trying to push the defensive end out. And all of a sudden, your quarterback, who's supposed to be stepping up, is stepping outside, and they get sacked. And it's like, well, that's your fault, not not the offensive line. And I remember – Steve Young, I listened to him a couple of years ago. We were in the same industry, so I would see him once in a while. And I heard him on ESPN say that every time that he scrambled, he knew that Bill Walsh, with his plays, was putting his head in his hands because either the quarterback didn't make the right read, the line didn't give him the protection, the wide receiver ran the wrong route, but the play didn't work. And I think right now the Bears are trying to decide, do, you know, we need a player who can make the plays, the discipline plays that we're looking for, but then has that it factor of being able to do more if the play doesn't work out. And um, I think that's, you know, really what uh, the Bears are looking for. And they have to make that assessment. And, yes, you can rob somebody. You know, you, you could really get a lot of great draft choices and everything. But – I think that what the problem there, there, well, the challenge they have is somebody's got to lead us to that next level. And do we have the quarterback who can do that? And we can't afford, I mean, think about it. We're all from Chicago. Their luck would be they trade down, they get, you know, all these draft choices. And then the first or second round quarterback pick becomes a future hall of famer. And once again, the bears don't have a quarterback they're looking for. So you would draft a quarterback come late April. You know what? I, I probably would draft a quarterback. There you go. Gotcha. It's, it's all, it, you know, it, it, yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all about, you know, the ceiling. And I, and I think that you can give all these excuses. It's your, it's your three. And you look at CJ Stroud, it's like year one. And he's, he's doing things that look kind of like you would expect a quarterback in the NFL to do. And I just think that, you know, this is going to be polls uh, challenge, you know, I have all these options and do I really like fields, which by the way, you're going to have to end up paying him a lot of money and you're still not going to be sure he's the guy. Good luck this weekend wagering on the big game, Super Bowl 58. I will preview with a special edition of the Danny Mac podcast on Saturday with the veteran voice of the Packers, Wayne Larrabee. We're going to talk about the Niners and the Chiefs. The Packers, seemingly, they've got their guy, it looks like, with Jordan Love. And we'll also talk about the state of broadcasting today when it comes to the biggest jobs in professional broadcasting. 
Glad you joined me today. Thank you for doing so. Thanking Dan Hampton, Gary Fensick, my executive producer, Sam Michael, Adam Delavitt, Baby Capone, Randy Merkin, Troy Mocker, and Alex Pastor. Have a good day. Back Saturday with more on the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.